Now this one dedicated to man, I'm called MacGyver. And no 007 James Bond spy man inside the area. Maximum respect to the man, I'm called Ice Cube. And what's the most to drink it up
Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy for Johnny Leave a doll for Mary Leave something pretty for Donny And don't forget about Gary Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Tell him James Brown sent you Go straight to the ghetto You know that I know What you will see Cause that was once Me So brothers Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Oh Lord Go straight to the ghetto Feel every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so you find you know that they need you so I'm begging you Santa Claus go straight to the ghetto if anyone wanna know tell them Hank Ballard told so Santa Claus go straight to the ghetto never thought I'd realize I'll be singing a song with water in my eyes. Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Don't leave nothing for me. A long time I felt without style or grace. Thank you. 
never get to talk. Tell us a little bit, but not too much. Right about then, that's where she give up. She has closed her eyes. She has give up hope. This isn't the time I'm nothing but 
had a family. The house is a museum. When people come to see them, they really are the scream. The Adams family.
shopping center. Her cafeteria was a clubhouse for the local senior citizens who might spend an entire afternoon huddled over a single serving of rice pudding. The K&W was past its prime, whereas my cafeteria was located in the sparkling new Crabtree Valley, a former swamp that made her mall look like a dusty tribal marketplace. The Piccadilly had red velvet walls and a dining room lit by artificial torches. A suit of armor marked the entrance to this culinary castle where, we were told, the customer was always king. As a dishwasher, I spent my shifts yanking trays off a conveyor belt and feeding their contents into an enormous foul-mouthed machine that roared and spat until its charges, free of congealed fat and gravy, came steaming out the other end, fogging my glasses and filling the air with the harsh smell of chlorine. I didn't care for the heat or the noise, but other than that, I enjoyed my job. The work kept my hands busy, but left my mind free to concentrate on more important matters. Sometimes I would study from the list of irregular Spanish verbs I kept posted over the sink, but most often I found myself fantasizing about a career in television. It was my dream to create and star in a program called Socrates and Company, in which I would travel from place to place accompanied by a brilliant and loyal proboscis monkey. Socrates and I wouldn't go looking for trouble, but week after week it would manage to find us. The eyes, Socrates, go for the eyes, I'd yell during one of our many fight scenes. Maybe in Santa Fe, I'd be hit over the head by a heavy jug and lose my memory. Somewhere in Utah, Socrates might discover a satchel of valuable coins or befriend someone wearing a turban. But at the end of every show, we would realize that true happiness often lies where you very least expect it. It might arrive in the form of a gentle breeze or a handful of peanuts, but when it came, we would seize it with our own brand of folksy wisdom. I'd planned it so that the final moments of each episode would find Socrates and me standing to me that we were all held captive in that prison known as the human mind, I would muse, or it suddenly occurred to me that freedom was perhaps the greatest gift of all. I'd hoped to crack these people like nuts, sifting through their brains and coming away with the lessons garnered by a lifetime of regret. Unfortunately, Having spent the better part of their lives behind bars, the men and women I worked with seemed to have learned nothing except how to get out of doing their jobs. Kettles boiled over and steaks were routinely left to blacken on the grill as my co-workers crept off to the stockroom to smoke and play cards or sometimes have sex. 
It suddenly occurred to me that people are lazy, my reflective TV voice would say. This was hardly a major news flash, and as a closing statement, it would undoubtedly fail to warm the hearts of my television audience, who by their very definition were probably not too active themselves. No, my message needed to be more upbeat and spiritually rewarding. Joy, I'd think, whacking the dirty plates against the edge of the slop can. What brings people joy? As Christmas approached, I found my valuable fantasy time cut in half. The mall was crazy now with hungry shoppers, and every three minutes I had the assistant manager on my back, hollering for more coffee cups and vegetable bowls. The holiday customers formed a loud and steady line that reached past the coat of arms all the way to the suit of armor at the front door. They wore cheerful Santas pinned to their bobbled shirts and carried oversized bags laden with power tools and assorted cheeses, bought as gifts for friends and relatives. It made me sad and desperate to see so many people, strangers whose sheer numbers eroded the sense of importance I was working so hard to invent. Where did they come from and why couldn't they just go home? I might swipe their trays off the belt without once wondering who these people were and why they hadn't bothered to finish their breaded cutlets. They meant nothing to me, and watching them move down the line towards the cashier, it became apparent that the feeling was mutual. They wouldn't even remember the meal, much less the person who had provided them with their piping hot tray. How was it that I was important and they were not? There had to be something that separated us. I had always looked forward to Christmas, but now my enthusiasm struck me as cheap and common. Leaving the cafeteria after work, I would see even more people swarming out of the shops and restaurants like bees from a burning hive. Here were the young couples in their stocking caps and the families clustered beside the fountain each with its lists and marked envelopes of money. It was no wonder the Chinese people couldn't tell them apart. They were sheep, stupid animals programmed by nature to mate and graze and bleed out their wishes to the obese, retired school principal who sat on his ass in the mall's sorry-looking North Pole. My animosity was getting the best of me until I saw in their behavior a solution to my troubling identity crisis. Let them have their rolls of gift wrap and gaudy personalized stockings. If it meant something to them, I wanted nothing to do with it. This year, I would be the one without the shopping bags, the one wearing black in protest of their thoughtless commercialism. My very avoidance would set me apart and cause these people to question themselves in ways that would surely pain them. Who are we, they'd ask, plucking the ornaments off their trees. What have we become, and why can't we be more like that somber fellow who washes dishes down at the Piccadilly Cafe?
chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. You'll tie Carol, he's sung by a choir. Folks dressed like black Eskimo. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe.
some money click on the website we deserve it
all the time on my radio call-in shows. Had my father been driving, we would have locked all the doors and ignored the stop signs, speeding through the area as quickly as possible because that's what smart people did. Pulled over and parked behind a van whose owner stood examining his flattened tire with a flashlight. Things might get a little rough up there, so just do what I tell you and hopefully no one will get hurt. She flipped her hair over her shoulder and stepped out of the car, kicking aside the cans and bottles that lined the curb. My sister meant business, whatever it was, and in that instant she appeared beautiful and exotic and dangerously stupid. Local teens slain for sport, the headlines would read. Holiday hijinks end in homicide. Maybe someone should wait with the car, I whispered, but she was beyond reason, charging up the street in her sensible shoes with a rugged, determined gait. There was no fumbling for a street address or doorbell. Lisa seemed to know exactly where she was going. I followed her into a dark vestibule and up a flight of stairs, where without even bothering to knock, she threw open an unlocked door and stormed into a filthy, overheated room that smelled of stale smoke, sour milk, and seriously dirty laundry. Three odors that, once combined, can peel the paint off of walls. This was a place where bad things happened to people who clearly deserved nothing but the worst. The stained carpet was littered with cigarette butts, and clotted, dust-covered flypaper hung from the ceiling like beaded curtains. In the far corner of the room, a man stood beside an overturned coffee table, illuminated by a shadeless lamp that broadcast his shadow huge and menacing against the grimy wall. He was dressed casually in briefs and a soiled t-shirt and had thin, hairless legs, the color and pebbled texture of a store-bought chicken. We had obviously interrupted some rite of unhappiness, something that involved shouting obscenities while pounding upon a locked door with a white-tasseled loafer. The activity consumed him so completely that it took the man a few moments to register our presence. Squinting in our direction, he dropped the shoe and steadied himself against the mantel.
get you another. Hearing a fresh, slurred voice in the house, my brother and sisters rushed from their rooms and gathered to examine Lisa's friend, who clearly cherished the attention. Angels! You're a pack of goddamn angels! She was surrounded by admirers, and her eyes brightened with each question or comment. Which do you like better, my sister Amy asked. Spending the night with strange guys or working in a cafeteria? What were the prison guards really like? Do you ever carry a weapon? How much do you charge if somebody just wants a spanking? One at a time, one at a time, my mother said. Give her a second to answer.
This something's fucked up with this turntable. gifts for his friends and relatives. He decides to go to Jeffrey's, the large department store downtown. Can I help you, sir? Yes, I'm looking for something in church. Any particular fragrance? Uh, I thought you might be able to suggest something. Well, there certainly is a large variety to choose from. I can see that. That's where the store Santa Claus holds court. Probably some kid didn't get what he wanted and is registering a complaint. Hey, stop that man! He stole my Christmas present! Hey, you! Stop! Watch it, mister. 
of Scientific Intelligence, Colonel Steve Austin is in the security conference with his boss, Oscar Goldman. Good thing you called me in on this, Steve. When I grabbed that guy, he dropped the package and it broke open. I could see the thing inside was no ordinary Christmas present. That's why I picked it up and got it to you. Steve, you seem to have a talent for finding trouble. But in this case, you may have stumbled on a major espionage ring. An espionage ring? Steve, the man you fought with in the department store is Harrison Fredericks. For a long while, he's been known to be a free agent in the espionage market, selling his services to the highest bidder. But what is even more interesting to us is what he was carrying in that package. What was it? It was an electronic fuel cell for our latest attack missile, the SYR-9. The SYR-9? I thought that was out in California. Landing on the Arctic terrain, Steve and Oscar were accosted by the enemy agent Ramat at gunpoint, captured and locked up in an old warehouse. Is the wound serious, Oscar? I don't think so, Steve. Looks like a scratch. Where are we? It's a warehouse. Where are we?
Expect to resume normal broadcasting shortly. Glad you could make it. No problem, Oscar. I'm staying in town for the holidays. Steve, the Air Defense Command in Colorado Springs picked up an unusual radio message the other day on a restricted frequency. No identification codes? That's part of the problem. All messages received over the defense network are preceded by an identification code, and they are followed by a second ident code before signing off. And this communication has no code on either side. They can't even decode the message. What are we going to do? It defies analysis, Steve. As a matter of fact, nothing on record as language or numeric code is anything like it. I've called in Dr. Landis. Ethel Landis? She's the top expert in the field of coded communication. And she has a lot of kooky ideas, Oscar. I know, Steve, but we can't afford to overlook any possibilities.
treatment affections, and they've made a very nice living for me, and it seems to have worked. Did you ever feel that this time the horror stories jinxed you, that something that you feared and had written about was coming true? No, it never even crossed my mind. Um, it's strange because off and on uh, in my career as a writer, I have certainly written. This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. My guest Stephen King was nearly killed in June of 1999 while taking his daily walk. He was walking along the gravel shoulder of Route 5, a two-lane highway near his home in Maine, when he was struck by a van driven by Brian Smith, who had several prior convictions for speeding and reckless driving. Over a year later, Smith was found dead in his home. King is still recovering from his injuries, which included nine breaks in his right leg, his right knee split almost directly down the middle, a fracture of his right hip, four broken ribs, and a scalp laceration that required nearly 30 stitches. His spine was chipped in eight places. Yet, fairly early in his recovery, he returned to writing. I spoke with Stephen King in 2000, after the publication of his book, On Writing, which is part... Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. Holy Patrick, Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on MutinyRadio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a stand-up comic in the five shakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene. This all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing two to five dollars at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio studio and gallery performance space 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you, namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up. <laughs> the best.
best barbecue in San Francisco and free comedy? Come get messy with the sauce every Wednesday, 7 p.m. at Baby Blues Barbecue at 3149 Mission Street, just past Cesar Chavez. Hilarious Bay Area stand-up comics, amazing smoked meats, and $5 cans of standard deviant brew. This neighborhood gym is a bizarre and fun weekday night treat with free comedy to tickle your ribs. Join your friends for Mutiny Radio every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. at Baby Blues Barbecue. Reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite to let us know you're coming to laugh. Yeehoo! Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Mortimer Spiderman. When I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the rhino, I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some schlemiels doing the laugh laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate two to five dollars on, hold, hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses, the print's too small. Then Mo? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown in on. It's nap time. The year is 2023. Oh, I wish that laughter had value and the unexpected laugh was priceless. Worry not. True entertainment has brought us a savior in whosthatlive.com. Oh, finally, an escape from the apocalyptic nightmare I live in. You can go to whosthatlive.com and buy comedy tickets. And you're in the raffle, I guess. True, 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 true productions. Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Bar on Dolores at 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. There is... <laughs> happy, happy hour the, is when... The... Comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours of hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live. <laughs> 2781 21st Street. Come down, be in the audience. Dog friendly. Dog friendly. We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog friendly. Ooh, a dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. <laughs> dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. Two seven eight one twenty first Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Here in Dot SF. Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Best Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed fest right here at the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, high-vis, and everything in between. All in one place, one day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. 
Never pay for fabric you don't need. Ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Tetons of Comedy. That, that's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. My new Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday, or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates have to see you. It's sunshine! And even in a drizzle, but not too much. Hey, Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho. You take it with the freezers. Reservations. Reservations on Eventbrite. Fucking public schools. <laughs> in a tri-level dual world of stand-up comedy. Laughter has value, and the unexpected laugh is priceless. Whoisthatlive.com. Comedy local shows on sale now. Everyone that purchases a ticket will automatically be entered into a true drawing. Who wants to focus on the genre of stand-up comedy and those that... Go to whoisthatlive.com for upcoming shows.
on a lark and peeing in the park. You should follow me on Twitter. It's jokes to Carl. That's the duh of Francais, not the duh of dumbass. But never mind that. Don't follow me now. Follow me later. I mean, for right now. to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hey, Mike. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube. You've picked a winner again. Wow. We're here on Mutiny Radio as we stream every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen to us by typing in mutinyradio.fm and hit Listen Live. We are also available as a podcast at L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, our acronym, and we are on iTunes. Also, I should mention, Carl, there is a way that you can find the live stream feed uh, uh, M3U uh, address and add it into your uh, podcast, Uh anything that listens to live feed. So you can listen to it separately from the the browser. But you can just go to mutinyradio.fm. That's the quickest way to listen to us live or download our podcast, you can get the link there. You could also uh, donate. Hit the donation button. We appreciate you donating to be a Patreon or through Venmo at Mutiny Radio. Carl, we are watching a full-length movie on YouTube with Mm -hmm. our audience. We Mm -hmm. would ask the audience to listen to the podcast and then watch the movie on YouTube at the same time. Mixed media. We're we're reappropriating media. We want to watch a movie with you. And apparently this movie is a real winner. <laughs> uh, Carl, what is the movie this week? <clears throat> this week we will be watching You Must Be Joking, 1965. That's what you put in YouTube search engine. You Must Be Joking, 1965. The channel we like is Michael Keeley. All right. Michael Keeley is the channel on YouTube. Go ahead and type in You Must Be Joking, you 1960. Must be. You Must Be Joking. 1965, once you find that link, click it, hit pause, move the timer to the left, and then wait for us to say go. That's a lot to do, but don't worry. We are very excited to bring up our one of our great features, the Celebrity Comedian Countdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Chris Warren. Welcome, Chris. Hey, everybody. My name's Chris Warren. So happy to be here with the great Carl. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great, and I love that you started that way. I even asked you to start that way because that's the way you start your stand-up routine. I'm curious. You always seem to start the same way. What's going on there? Yes, that's something I've I've pretty much been doing since I started stand-up. What happened was when I, like, on the first month of stand-up, I would just do comedy at these open mics and like bars and restaurants where people were not expecting comedy, didn't want comedy, were, you know, yeah. ordering drinks, having side conversations. Uh, and, you know, it was hard to get their attention. So I would just start the set off by yelling, you know, my name as loud as possible. <laughs> they'd, they'd, they'd look over and then I knew I had like about 30 seconds to hook them. 
Yeah. So it, was, it was just by necessity, honestly. It's a technique. I hear you. It's not branding. It's not marketing. It's hooking them. Exactly. Right. And now people come to expect it. You know, you can't let the people down. You cannot, right? That is the first rule of Chris Warren. Now, you are not a Jersey comedian. That's who I'm often interviewing on this show. You are a Connecticut comedian. Now, what town do you live in out there? I live over in the beautiful, sunny city of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Rock the 203 every day, baby. <laughs> so that's really far. Now, the thing is that, like, I count you amongst, like, our clique. I mean, we've got common friends, right? We've got Luke Rothschild. We've got Anthony Quinn. I mean, these are Jersey, New York. Well, those two are New York, right? But you, why is it that you travel so far uh, to come here for comedy? Um, well, I just think for you know everyone does comedy a little differently. For me personally, I uh, I want to get in front of new places as much as possible, right? Because it's like Connecticut, where I'm from, not the biggest state. We have a we have a nice scene. I you know I like Connecticut's comedy scene, but it's not very mm -hmm. big. It's like the same twenty people I see at the same four mics every week. Uh, so that's you know that gets to be old pretty quick, and there's only so many shows that are booking out of Connecticut. So. At a certain point, you know, there's only so much you can do. You got to get out, go somewhere different. So if I can go to, you know, if I can only do four mics a week in Connecticut, that's not really enough to uh, try to get better, in my opinion. So it's, okay, I'll go to Jersey this week. I'll go up to Massachusetts this week, out to Rhode Island sometimes, over to, you know, the Hudson Valley, over to New York City. It's like all these places are roughly an hour, hour and a half away. It's not the end of the world, so I might as well get out, try different things, and you meet all sorts of new comics like yourself, Carl, make new connections, uh, get in yeah. new rooms. You know, I've, uh, I've, I've got, had a very good experience with going to new places. Now, way back when, it was pre-pandemic, a bunch of comedian, Connecticut comedians, maybe four or five of you, would show up at the Reserve Club once or twice. And, and uh, some of those Connecticut comedians were on Late Night with Anthony Quinn. They were on uh, King of the Mountain at Scotty's in, in Springfield. They've all withered away. You're the guy who keeps coming out. This is dedication to craft, and I commend you for it. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of those guys um, just don't do comedy anymore. Um, wow. Huh. Pandemic yeah. or who knows? Uh, some of them, the pandemic, I mean, everyone's different, just kind of taught them that this wasn't really what they wanted to be doing with their life. And that's okay. You know, it's their choice. Some of them moved because of the pandemic. I mean, a lot of people, some of them just disappeared. I, I you know, I haven't heard from them since. So you never know. Yeah. So I think it's really great that you come out an hour and a half isn't too much. That's certainly true. And you get yourself in front of a bunch of strangers. See if your jokes work to a different group of people. Exactly. Okay, now, Chris Warren, how do people find you out there on the internet, out there in social media, the Instagrams, the Snapper chats? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Chris Warren Comedy on Instagram. That's Chris Warren Comedy. Uh, and I post all my shows up there. All my dates for the month are up there. So you can come find me mm -hmm. doing shows uh, all over New England, New York, New Jersey. So hopefully somewhere near you, come out and say hi. Now, we just did a show together, right? Uh, we went down there, the, the open mic, uh, I, it, they never canceled it, even though the host didn't show up because of a COVID fear or something. We got up in front of a, day, a bunch of strangers, the three of us, right? Luke, you and I. 
and it went horrible, I felt, right? Nobody was paying attention. This is the stuff that toughens you up, yes? Yeah, I mean, that, uh, I mean, it sucked, but, you know, that is, uh, as much as it'd be fun, right, to do mm -hmm. a real show in a real club every night, that's uh, not where we're at right now. So you got to do some open mic comedy every now and again. And uh, open mic comedy can be very brutal. And that was a night, perfect yeah. example. This uh, We were at this little dive bar in New Jersey. Raritan. Uh, Raritan, New Jersey. My Raritan, God. New Jersey. And uh, there were a bunch of guys watching the college football game. <laughs> and they did not like that comedy was interfering with that very much. That's right. That's right. And they just came out to you know, their local watering hole, and we invaded, and, uh, but it, it toughens you up, it, it, it was still, you know, and you worked the crowd, I really didn't hear, I heard material towards the end, but you knew, you read the room, and you started with your intro, and you, and you worked the crowd, I thought that was very, very uh, clever, I didn't do that. I, I appreciate that, Carl, yeah, it's just, um, I've done comedy in so many weird places, like, you know, that's just, you kind of read when a room is not wanting comedy. It, it, it doesn't really benefit you to do a setup punchline kind of joke because they're yeah. not paying attention. So you want to try to uh, get them involved as much as possible. And granted, they didn't give me very kind answers to my attempted <laughs> crowd work with them. Uh, a lot of fuck off. But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do is exactly what you did. Okay, now, out there on Instagram, it's Chris Warren Comedy. Now, Chris, everyone at home, is poised to watch this movie. They're ready to press play at the exact same second that we do here in the studio. So why don't you go ahead, Chris Warren, and give me that celebrity comedian countdown. All right, will do, guys. Everybody ready? Hands on the remotes. Three, two, one, play. All right, is this simply movie's logo gonna be in the entirety of this movie? This is Columbia, and it um, will not be the entirety. Okay, that's good. Oh, yes, yeah, Simply Movies? You know, that guy? Yeah. 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 That's what yeah. he did to us. Well, did at least he brought us. That is the woman from Hudson Hawk. <laughs> that's exactly In the opening right. credits. She now is in this opening credits. Oh, these are real people. I don't know who he is. I know that guy, Lionel Jeffries. That's right. You do. These He's are all. Star show. Oh, really? Was, there's a. Uh... The butler from Training Places. I recognize yeah, Elliot. Yeah, him on our show. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, special appearances, not just starring. Right. Special They're like well-known English guys, and they show up. Ooh, them. now introducing. These credits are going crazy. Oh, and guest star. We have yeah, a guest he's star. Not a guest star. He's throughout the whole thing. I don't get that. They had special appearance of introducing. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, then guest star. It's very British. To do Is this a movie like or that. TV show or it's variety special? And they shot in black and white because it was cheaper and it was accepted. I mean, we've had color since the 30s, but people would still have a black and white TV. They would go to a black and white movie. It was done to save a lot of money. That's absolutely right. There was, you know, you had color TV, but most people have black and white TVs. Mm-hmm. That's why you would see these commercials on for television for color television shows in black and white. They just figured either way it's gonna reach the audience. Why pay in color? There are these the actual people you think? Yes. Michael Winner. 
He's the director. And he came up with this idea, this story. He got someone to script it for him. Right. He would go on to do Death Wish and it's like two of its sequels. Yeah, no, I remember him from the Electric Boogaloo, the Canon Pictures story. He passed away, unfortunately, when the film was released uh, by 2014. <laughs> he wasn't introduced, but a lot of people had a lot of negative stories about him and his director style and just the way he was uh, uh, on Death Wish and just the kind of nihilism that his stuff had. And I, I know that he was like a celebrity restaurant critic and he had a lot of Me Too like charges. paper, right. Yeah. There's a little bit of a celebrity. Yeah, he was on TV a lot, and he would go on talk shows and be snobby. Okay, so this uh, general just showed up who says is a special guest. He's not. And he's like, you there! <laughs> Where's the man I was promised? Begging your pardon, sir? Snap to you! <laughs> you know, it's all this. Are and you it, doing your Terry Thomas impersonation? Yeah, he showed up to pick up. Right now, he's like, "Oh, dreadfully sorry to interrupt your, your car, you know, meeting of the minds." <laughs> he re he reminds, yeah, he's great, and he it was in yeah, precisely at sixteen hundred hours. It is now sixteen hundred and twenty hours. He re he reminds me of uh. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll say once the plot line is revealed, but there's a John uh, Cleese movie with a scavenger hunt, and John right. Cleese plays the guy who introduces the instructions, and he does it, you know, in his normal Terry Thomas-esque manner. Right, right. Now, this guy, Terry Thomas, was, he, he's throughout the whole thing. He was the English character actor. You know him well. You see the gap in his teeth. He was in sure. Mad Mad World. Right, right, which was like two years ago from this movie, like 63. Now, he's not a star, this guy we're meeting. He's an American. He's not the star of it, but he is like... Uh, Columbia insisted on having him. They thought he was going to bring it to America. Well, I never heard of this movie, so I guess it didn't succeed. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and the director says some snotty thing about him. <clears throat> right. What a winner. Okay, you know, so I can't... Uh, Charles Schneer liked the Hackney script, agreed to make it as the deal he had with Columbia. Columbia insisted that Michael Curran play a lead role. Winner called the actor a nice fellow who didn't sell the film in America and didn't help it in England either. Ooh, so meow. <laughs> meow. Meow. Goodness. Uh, Sit up maybe, in your chair. Maybe that was just poor direction. So we have uh, a Scotsman, an American. Yeah, we're meeting another guy who has to report to this base for some reason. All right. And we're just learning he's like silly, over pompous, military, takes himself too seriously, is a little delusional because of it. No, uh, and he's wearing a kilt, so he's going to be some up kilt shots, I imagine. Well, this is an army. Someone's bound to get killed. Oh, you know, in this world, it's kilt or be killed. <laughs> it's helter helter out there man that's the great thing about cocktails are the garnishes like you could get the pickled cauliflower your you could finger. Just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of my hey. bloody berry with yeah. olives deep in the goo <laughs> i have to use my finger hey well, can you give me a celery so i could get the carrot the olives out thanks Hello, I'm Fitzroy Tabasco. 
Tabasco. <laughs> now, these guys aren't supposed to recognize everybody, right? Like, this is well, one of those... uh, you certainly recognize Denim, and no, you're not. If you were English, yes, you'd know him. Right. All. Like, but if we were watching... Denim, he was in Dick Van Dyke. Um, he was in our movie in um, The Prisoner of Zenda. Right, so, that's right. Oh, right, he was in Prisoner of Zenda, the, the Scottish guy here. Yeah, and Mary... Definitely. Was it Mary Poppins? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He was the grandfather of Dick Van Dyke. That was an amazing. I, I'm still waiting for them to make a car like Chitty Chitty. <laughs> Everybody knows you and cars. You got that Bang Bang. People always derail that movie, but you know what? Stop making kids movies. Maybe we won't have to deal with that. You got to crank out movies for children year after year. Or are you going to come up with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? How about we just <laughs> stop? The kids have plenty of movies. Just reissue them. Save money. Near, far, in a motor car. I'm not sure what that is from. Oh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, right. Okay. I All I remember is... Uh, what, Chitty Chitty guess, Bang Bang, we love you. Chitty Chitty Near, Bang Bang, far. we love you. When Near, I saw as a kid, car, in a motor car. Oh, that's the next line. He loved you. As a kid, I'm like, this is the worst movie I ever saw. And then oh, I'm like, really? Whoa! I had an erection. It was like my first bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's but happening? I, I was fooled by that movie, and it was all colorful, and then it fucking blew. Right, but it was terrible. Oh, all right. Yeah, well, I'll have to rewatch it. Maybe I'm sure it won't hold up for me. And I was just a little kid. Right. I, you, I, I like it because I was like, I have a good one. I love those two lyrics from that song. <laughs> so what are they, they're planning. So this is the plot. They, they hired, they got all these military guys from different countries or what have you. Yeah. Are they like all like army or Navy or. They're all the branches. And then you've got the, my fair lady guy up there, the general. Being yeah. like, this is the age of nuclear war. However, I'm sure you would agree that there wouldn't be a scrape on the ground or two. So, like, the idea is, you know, how do we test you, uh, your metal as a soldier? So what they're going to do is pretend that there was a nuclear bomb, the country is devastated, they have to go out with a list of six scavenger hunt type things to put into a, like a time capsule and be buried forever to preserve England. Oh, like a bag of uh, crisps? <laughs> yes. Because one of them is like ducks. Like uh, in many English houses, they have these ceramic ducks hanging on the wall. <laughs> oh, that's okay. great. So I would get you know, a Billy Bass space. <laughs> right. No, you know the hood ornament on the Rolls Royce? Right, yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of them. Oh, like the BC Boys. Remember the uh, people in England were like stealing the Volkswagen uh, logo yeah. from the cars because they could dress like 1987's BC Boys? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um. Okay, so you they also one of them is a lock of hair and an autograph from this French porn singer named Sylvia Tarnett. Now, why is that English? I don't know. Well, we saw a lot of, like, we like to watch movies from England during the 60s, especially, like, the swinging, yeah. you know, London scene and yeah. sex comedy. So maybe that's that angle. 
the greatest but, thing for me about this film is all the accents. Which we're not going to listen to for the most part. Right. So they're, they're, he's saying, like, if there's a nuclear bomb, we want to see you guys collect items for a time capsule to see how you would survive and just resor how resourceful you are. Yeah. Now, it's a stupid premise because they're going to go out there into the real world, not a nuclear war world, and they're basically going to go get the stuff. It is a scavenger hunt. It doesn't make sense. And then they win something, whoever gets the scavenger. So yeah, this is they, like... get a, they get a, um, a, a trip around the world with a partner, and they also get like promises of promotion, promotion, promotion. It, it's never defined. So this is like it's a mad, 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 mad world with yeah. Terry Thomas from two years ago, but this yeah. time it's different comedians, British comedians. Well, it's England. It's so England. So this is like rat race. This is what I'm talking about. Like John Cleese gave the instructions of what you need to do to win the game. Uh -huh. And, you know, the one fun, one of the great moments of that movie, he goes, go. And then like, look at that, he goes, go. And he goes, what do you that was good. That was a good song. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have to see that again. Well, I saw that in the theater in 99, like, a, you know, best movie year ever. But I recently showed that to my kid thinking, like, I kind of like this comedy. Maybe this is like a modern day mad, 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 mad world. And there's a scene where this woman catches her husband having an affair in a jacuzzi and she's overhead in the helicopter. So she lowers the helicopter to break open the... Uh, above ground jacuzzi outdoor jacuzzi and like it was like eh, it's what's so funny with all this destruction i was like oh how great <laughs> you know it didn't hold up no it didn't hold up didn't know in why a way. in a disappointing way yeah like it didn't see the comedy like uh what was so funny with destruction like you know dumb slapstick because the movie was a lot of destruction. Uh, so good. I loved <laughs> slapstick. I just do. I do too. You know it's fake. You know it's a presentation to and it's called entertainment. You know it's pretend on TV. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you sit there and think, I don't know, there is empathy though. Well, I don't know. I just believe that nobody's really getting hurt like it's all fake so right. and not only that like when there's chaos like things get destroyed and car chases it's more action for me uh -huh. than like haha comedy but it's funny action so therefore it falls under comedy right and, you know the rhythm of it like a fight always has like great choreography in a movie and you have that visual kick of it and that's the fun of the movie so if a car smashes into a fruit pass a fruit stand yeah, when a guy who gets shot falls gracefully, you know it's a movie. Right. But, you know, when Smokey drives his car through a, a plate glass window that two people are carrying, it's funny, I guess. <laughs> All right. Children. Okay. Enjoy the corn maze. Watch out for the children in the corn. Right. Now, our upperclassman, you know, Elliot Dellum. Yeah. De Denholm Elliot. Of course, he's sitting his ass on the bench. He's already, you know, making preparations and arrangements for his people to get him out of there. There's a, I love how there's a bench in a maze. It's the That's, center. Oh, so it's not like a cheat, like if I pass by the park bench. <laughs> I guess it is the center. Yeah. 
I read a history of mazes, like and how these these corn mazes are made, and mm -hmm. they're mostly made to get tourists. You know? Yeah, I know. It's a maze. <sighs> yeah. Well, you know what? You, you you do get lost in it. <laughs> yeah, and you, it's you can't go backwards. You know, it's not yeah. a it's not a in the newspaper. Well, I was like, I want to start from finish and go, from, you know, trace my finger. You're like, no, sir. I would never do one of these mazes in the winter if it was lightly snowing just a little bit because I would be in the shining. That's right. It gets a little spooky. I yeah, love this slapstick. Really spooky. Now, you're talking about slapstick where nobody gets hurt. He's just pole yeah. vaulted. He pole vaulted. He said, for Scotland. He pole vaulted. What is that? And he smashed through a greenhouse. And then he started reprimanding the guy who was like, what the fuck? He was like, stop up straight, so <laughs> You know, it's, not, it's so English. Oh, my goodness. So our Elliot Dellum, our aristocrat, has right. now given orders to, like, a soldier. Deliver this for me, chop, chop, straight away by private messenger. Right? So... United States government guy just did it. We've been in these movies of England before. Like, it's about class, right? So that's the comedy, is these different people of different classes trying to escape a corn maze. Yes. That comedy and the different branches, they contrast each other, you know? The American sticks out like a sore thumb. When you're listening to them, you think you're... Listen, you're watching like uh, I Dream of Genie's. Um, I don't know. He's just so American of the day. This is '65, so it's like setting up for. I don't know. I guess this guy didn't hit in the end, right? So the note reached the person. They brought a fucking chopper. I love it. Now everyone wants that chopper, right? And everyone's gonna get it. And they don't, well, you know what, that's it. But for one person. Wow, look at this. So is this funny, this image? They have a real people dangling. Do you, you know, they have the crazy music probably or, I don't know. I do find it funny. It's a spectacle. I like seeing movies and if there's going to be explosions and car crashes, sometimes, you know, it's supposed to be funny. It's a funny premise. This is a funny premise. It's just not like in a chortle. I don't know. It's, it's like weird. you're going into a pretend place for entertainment value. So it's right. like, you know it's a fake movie. Even if it was a nuclear explosion, you know it's a fake movie. So you can, okay, watch how they get hit by the trees. And the director kind of cheated us, or the cinematographer. Oh, they're on a human fox hunt? Ooh, this is like the hunt. Right. Yeah. Now, they're giving everyone a mile. You can't be within one mile of this base starting, you know, with uh, in one hour. So now these guys are just scrambling to get off base. So they both got bonked <laughs> off the chopper. They all got bonked off the chopper into the woods. 